just after Memorial Day, when George Floyd was killed, we were sort of figuring out what our podcast was going to sound like, what this show was going to be about. And we realized that given the news of that day and the protests and the, you know, amazing, beautiful, bizarre explosion of the Black Lives Matter movement all around us that we couldn't just do a silly podcast about the internet and things that grinds our gears and you know we wanted to do all those things too but that moment we knew we had to figure out how we were going to talk about Black Lives Matter because if the three of us couldn't figure it out then there's probably wouldn't have been a whole lot of reason for us to continue to create a podcast we needed to be honest with each other we need to be open with each other and we needed to be able to stop and say hey i uh i don't really feel like doing this tonight i want to talk about something else and so Mackenzie and, and Nick and I agreed to just let the microphones roll and uh, talk about how we felt, where we fit in, and uh, wrap our heads around how black lives matter to us. The good news is we figured out how to talk to each other about it. And so the show went on and we recorded some of our best shows after that conversation. And then there was the shooting of Jacob Blake in nearby Kenosha. I thought it would be worth sharing a little bit of our conversations that we recorded shortly after Memorial Day shortly after the death of George Floyd. Um, because it's a raw and it's a real and it's a very, very honest conversation between three good friends who believe that by talking through our ideas we can't help but get better. Because ultimately, if we don't talk these things through, it won't probably be okay. I'm looking forward to hearing what your experiences are like because I'm out here in in Redneckville, like literally with a sunburn on my neck, 
from all the gardening I've been doing. Like I'm literally a redneck right now. We went from being what was I had I had a clever little turn of phrase that I was rather proud of in the moment. I said we went from being uh, afraid to go outside because we might catch something to being afraid to go outside because we might get caught up in something. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. So that's my take. How about you, Nikenji? Do you have a take? My take is, like I spent today alternating between attempting to do work for which there there was no success. Attempting to do work, attempting to, I finished the book. I should have known that I was going to finish the book in like a day and a half. So I didn't have my book to distract me. It's just like reading news articles because like every time I read the news, like there's always an article and then I get, I mean, I get curious and then I'm just like, oh, okay, so I'm reading it. Doing that and alternating between that and just crying. And I honestly, I, I can't quite figure out why I am crying. Like, I can't quite figure out why I am so upset like I recognize that one of the emotions is anger and it's sadness I frequently reflect on how nice it was to grow up in a country that was majority black despite I mean there's still racial stuff going on because white supremacy never dies but at the very least there wasn't a feeling a, a thick a feeling of this thick cloud of Oppression seems like a strong word, but when I moved from Baltimore, I was going to historically black university and I moved to Milwaukee by my second semester, I was just so tired of it. Like I was so tired of the lack of diversity. I was so of Marquette as well as Milwaukee. I was so tired of being the only black person in spaces I was so tired of just never seeing black success or narratives of success. And like, that's something you take for granted when you come from a country like Barbados, where like your teachers are black, your prime minister is black, your ministers are black, your business owners are black. And yes, there is a conversation about how most of the wealth, a lot of the wealth is something that is concentrated amongst people that aren't black but at the end of the day you could still be like gosh this person is a millionaire and they're black and you can see them in the community and that's like something that you just absolutely at least with Baltimore it was a more diversity even though I was going to HBCU so that helped but being in Milwaukee that wasn't very diverse and where Marquette is located it was like always every time I saw a black person it seemed like they were downtrodden so there wasn't a range of black experiences. Like that was something that I had to like actually seek out in my second semester. It is a lot of work to combat the insidiousness of racism. And it is a lot of work to combat the, the negative things that are attributed to black people, black culture, black skin. And it's it was really, really exhausting. And I think over time I adapted to it, but 
Now I just feel so exhausted. Like with everything that's going on right now, I read these stories and I am scared to know what my white friends think. I'm scared to know what my white coworkers think. I'm scared to know what my white uh, in-laws think. I'm scared to know what my white husband thinks. And like, I am so exhausted. Like I, I don't have the capacity to have conversations of understanding or meeting people where they're at. Like, I just, I cannot fucking do it right now. I have avoided this, like the plague, like, like I am not one, I am a black voice, but like, because people will see me as black, but culturally I am from the Caribbean and my experience is so much different from a black American experience. So like, I'm always weary of that, but like, I just don't have the capacity anymore. Like it's just all gone. It's that negative 100 at this point. So that's my, that's, that's my take so far. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank, thank you for sharing that. I will tell you that uh, you are under no obligation to speak for anyone but yourself. And that is one of the horrible things about the work that we do have done is that we all feel compelled, right, to speak on behalf of something because it's what we do professionally. And especially in, in marketing, I, I challenge the notion that an unaffected organization need to say anything. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, like... Here's the thing. PlayStation said, you know what? We don't want to be in the news right now. And so they stepped back. But then they posted a Black Lives Matter thing with their their little triangle exactly. logo down at the bottom. And I was like, no, now you're commoditizing. Like, where's the line? Where's the line? Right. PlayStation. I get it. Like, I get it. But like, also, what are you doing to increase equity in your product line, in your development stream? Sony's got some giant brass balls to come out and say, yeah, here's Black Lives Matter with our logo. That's the part that I just like, from a marketing perspective, I'm like, that's tacky. That's as bad as the, in these uncertain times, we will not launch PlayStation 5 until it's ready. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> so, so, so sorry for about making it a marketing conversation, but like, like your experience is so valid and real and foreign to me. Like, it's like stuff I've read in equity training come to life and i honor that i guess is all i can tell you like thank you for sharing that so i would say like for me i've definitely felt a level of discomfort not feeling like i know the right thing to say or do and then also i've felt angry that people don't understand something that seems so obvious and I, I guess I just, I, I felt that way for a while. This might be oversimplifying it, but it's like all of these issues that are coming up, you know, be it the safer at home thing or just the, the total unfitness of our president. And now this, these things seem so obvious to me. And then when I see people arguing the other side, it just makes me so angry because it seems like it should be obvious to them that they're wrong. And and I do think particularly with, with this issue, with George Floyd, like 
I just, I felt really sad and mad at myself when I, when I get angry with these other people, I think part of it is that I'm mad at myself for probably not realizing this stuff as soon as, as I should have. And, and certainly like in this case, like totally not understanding or like paying much mind to like my privilege as I should have in the, in the past. Like, I mean, like, you know, like, I feel like now it's like white privilege is almost like we have the privilege to not think about these things that, that so many people have to think about or be careful about every day. And it just seems so unfair. I, I, you know, I, I always like to say like, I'm the most optimistic pessimist you'll ever meet. So like when I see what's happening and when I see people seemingly voicing support for these protests by such large numbers, I want to think that we're seeing younger generations rejecting the world that's been given to us and saying, no, this is not good enough. This is not equitable. This is not right. This is not what we want. I, I have this, this theory that was influenced by a book I read that almost all of the ills in the world over the, you know, over the past 50 years can be pretty much attributed entirely to the baby boomer generation. And I like to be hopeful that, you know, when they're gone, we'll build a better world. I've been going on Twitter and going on Reddit and trying to stay informed of what's going on. I've been, you know, fighting fruitless battles on social media against people that are on the wrong side of this. But I mean, I really do think like, you know, I'm kind of in my first step. Like, I, I just want to understand this first so I I can better decide how I'm going to take a stand against this. I, I feel like my greatest responsibility right now is being a parent, and it's, it's teaching the boys how to be anti-racist and how to, you know, celebrate the, the differences that we have and, and honor the differences and not make judgments based on them. So, I mean, I just like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, in the world we've all been, you know, since COVID hit and maybe for some of us that have, are really following politics closely, we've been just really hyper vigilant for a really long time. And, and now, you know, with this, with this fight for equality, I mean, this seems like the most important fight that we have. And I just, I hope we can find a way to make this right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really well said, Nick. Really well said. I like the way you are framing the conversation with your children around the results of, of, you know, how to be and, and, anti-racist as opposed to being not racist. I mean, I was growing up, I grew up saying, I, you know, in the, I don't see color phase. And I also grew up in the middle of nowhere where, you know, there were only three or four kids in my high school of 4,000 kids, <laughs> you know, of color. And I was friends with everybody. Hell, I didn't care. And I interpreted that as I didn't see color, but like, as I matured, I realized, and I, you know, I do, and I need to, and I need to recognize that I get a lot of, a lot of things are tipped my direction. And that's, that is the policy change that I, I hope people are working towards, but, oh, but I wanted to go one, there's one more thing I wanted to say. 
Nick, that you thought of when you when you start looking at this on a political front, I don't see how anyone can look at President Trump and not desperately miss 44. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like politics aside, like, oh, my God, if only we could have hung on to 44 for four more years. I actually put up my first yard sign that I've ever put up before just this past week. And, you know, I've, I've always veered towards the fiscally conservative side, but I, I just, I, I couldn't bring myself to support Trump. And I mean, just, you know, just, I, just being honest, I'm, I'm not like super excited about Joe Biden. So it doesn't seem like intellectually honest to put a Joe Biden sign in my front yard, you know, although I, obviously I'll be supporting him. So I got a sign that just says dump Trump. <laughs> and you know, Gabe, you 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 had mentioned something about making people confront things that they don't want to confront, and you know, I, I kind of feel like putting that sign up is, is my way of like drawing a line in the sand and saying like, yeah, I want you to know that I like I don't want you to have any doubt of how wrong I think you are. Like I want to I want to put a sign in my front yard that says you're wrong. So I, they haven't been over here. They haven't seen it yet. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But at least I, I felt like a little bit like I was, at least for myself, like kind of doing something to take a stand. Yeah. I love that you are willing to take that stand and say, here's what I believe here. Here's the, here's the story. And if I've told this one, I'll, I'll, I, I'm sorry. And if it's, Again, I'm not trying to compare anybody's suffering. I'm just relating my, or, or compare even equities. I'm just relating my experience and the learning moment I had. Several years ago, when we first moved back out here to Watertucky, Guy had a friend over for lunch, and we were watching an anime about mermaids and about two mermaid girls who fell in love with each other. And this little friend from the neighborhood that Guy had over for lunch says, Oh my God! That's two girls? Two girls are in love with each other? That's disgusting and wrong. And I like I put my fork down and I like was about to put my arm out and point to the door and say, there you go. But Jennifer saw that coming and you know, she's a better person than I am. Jennifer stopped and said, Hey, you know, in our house, like this is the kind of thing we're okay with. And that's okay. And like, she just looked at me and gave me the don't say anything. And I didn't. And later she said, look, you know, you don't understand because you have experienced the world. This might be the first time that this girl has ever been asked to consider that there is nothing wrong with two mermaids who are girls who love each other. And if you throw her out, it becomes it becomes a battle of wills. But if you accept what she's saying and inform her that that's not how you choose to believe things, now she has an opportunity to see the world might be differently than she was told. Mm -hmm. I hope that you take from, from what I'm responding with that, you know, when it becomes a confrontation, just don't engage. That seems to really create a space where people are able to consider the world differently than the way that they were brought up. I try to take that same approach at school. 
when kids show up to my classes wearing Confederate flags, I don't let them wear them. But I do respect their right to do so. And I tell them that, but they're not allowed to do that in my my classroom. Wear that at home, not here. And maybe that's not hardline enough. But if I make it a confrontation, they're going to leave the classroom. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between a confrontation and a conversation? Because some people conflate the two. That's a great point. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's when I put my foot down and say it's either this or that. Like when I, I and I maybe it's because of the 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 practice I've got it as a, as an educator. But like, there is a very fine line to when I put my foot down. I know when I say, okay, now we've reached a point we're either going to go over the cliff or not, and that's a confrontation. That being said, a lot of feedback I get is, you know you often seem like you're lecturing at me and that you're being very confrontational. And like, you know, part of that is because I'm a big enthusiastic dude. And part of that is because I think you're right, Nikenji. I'm not sure there is a, a huge difference other than like a willingness to accept the other's point of view as valid, but not for you. I don't know. That's definitely what I've run into with some of the, the conversations that I've tried to have, I, I know it's, it is important to try to go into these things, trying to seek understanding and common ground. But I, but I find that, you know, a lot of time when you just, when you call someone's belief into question, they can't not see that as a confrontation, even if you're not doing it in a confrontational fashion. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you teach to kill a mockingbird to someone wearing a Confederate flag? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's really hard but like i'd rather they were in there and hear you know what what atticus has to say the reality is at the school i teach at there are only a handful of african americans and w- one of them is a really cool kid that i spend a lot of time with and and one day he looks at me and he's like he's like you know nobody at this school looks like i do and I was like, you mean like with, with like, you know, go- goofy hair? And he's like, no, I mean, you know, the color of my skin. He said, nobody here, none of my teachers. I have never had a teacher that looks like I do. And then he says, wow. you're about as close as I've ever come. <laughs> and I was like, that is so sad, but yeah, you're probably right. That's upsetting to me. But like at the same time, I love that kid. He's a cool kid. I hope he's doing well. I'll just leave it at that. Nikenji, I'm sorry you're crying. That sucks. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's natural. I think it's a decent reaction to the the piling on that you so eloquently described, having what we've all been through. I also think about the fact that, like, I've always pondered whether or not I'd be capable of having children. I don't know that I want any. But I've always thought about, like, whether or not I would actually want to raise them in America. And typically, it's more, it's come down to, I'd prefer to raise them in Barbados, simply because I used to hate the, like, in college, I used to hate the kids that would be, yeah, I'm from Jamaica, but, like, I've never actually lived there, but I'm Jamaican. Like, 
Like I would just I just want my I would like my child to be able to say that they're Barbadian or authentic um authentically. But now in my mind it's become yeah. a conversation of like, would yeah. I really want to li- uh to raise a black child in America one, God forbid in Milwaukee? And the answer to that question is hovering dangerously at <laughs> hell the fuck no. So Well, I mean, yeah. Let me ask you this, and both of you can answer. Could either of you honestly and authentically raise a Canadian? I mean, as a move to Canada? Yes. I mean. <laughs> right, and raise a child as a Canadian. <laughs> I've, I've always said that I would never move because my family's so close. The thought has crossed my mind over the last couple months when when I when I see just how selfish and self-centered and blind some of my fellow Americans, a lot of my fellow Americans are, I started to daydream about what it might be like to move to like Scandinavia or somewhere else that's not here. You know, you can probably attest to this too, Gabe. But being young and raised and being told America is the greatest country in the world, not having the tools to understand as a youngster why that's not true or or to dispute that, to just kind of take that and, and just believe it. And now to like see what we're seeing kind of makes me feel like, I don't know, like my tribe could be anywhere, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, I, I tongue in cheek bring up, you know, going to Canada just because that's a thing that people say. I'm not sure that currently Canada would take us anyway, but Nikita, no, you I'm would sure be, they wouldn't. You, <laughs> you might be the expert on that. Well, you think, the thing is, is that Canada actually has a organized process for immigration uh, and migration where it makes sense. And they are actively seeking people to fill roles that they need. And so it's all outlined beforehand and they have a points system based on your experience, education, adds a bonus. If you can speak the language, if it's like a French province, like they they have well, a well thought out process. Nikenji, how heavily does encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of the Adventure Time TV series weigh into that calculation? <laughs> <laughs> possibly not at all oh no what we need is an old inexperienced special ed teacher who knows a lot about cartoons <laughs> where can we get that guy <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you're you're nearing retirement you've only been working for two years and your biggest accomplishments this summer was figuring out how to live tweet a shitty flute video <laughs> <laughs> so i guess i guess if i were to offer one piece of advice to the world it's the thing that i pay a really nice lady every couple of weeks to tell me which is you're okay and be gentle with yourself which i find maddening because it's not really a direction for anything but it also is fair 
like I'm my own worst critic in situations like this. I'm my enemy. You know what I mean? Like you're not doing enough. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're just tired. Like, just be gentle. It's okay. The world is fucked up and having a fucked up reaction to it. Wait, I think what made me cry too was every time I thought about going to protest, I just got really upset and angry. Like I really want to go. But at the same time, like I see what is happening at other protests and it makes me really angry. And I don't know. Like, it's like I'm sequestering myself away from all humankind at this point because I just don't know how I'm going to respond in a, in a volatile situation. Have you thought about going to a, a protest? I have. I, I, I would like to go very badly. I am very nervous about the pandemic that's also going on right now. Yep. But I, I think that going to a protest is really important. And there was actually one in Bayview today. But there's just there's part of me that feels like, you know, when I, with two two year olds in the house, like I don't I don't know what chances I should be taking. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's what stays my my hand more than that. I mean, because I certainly have the time it it's just easy for me to get swept up in them i'm good at picking up what other people are putting down and running with it and like i don't i don't want to pick up something that isn't mine and and run with it you know what i'm saying like i'll stand there and protest but at the same like but like i just with the pandemic i can't do it right now that being said please understand that that i will have a much different approach to conversations about the confederate flag this fall but it's the pandemic that stays my hand more than anything else the pandemic and the fact that i'm very scared of my wife and she would kill me if i got arrested (laughs) yeah yeah i i i had never done anything like that before and, and until there was that march for our lives a couple years ago mm-hmm and we we went to that michelle and i did it was like shortly after we had the boys and i you know i was really glad to be there and yeah i do i want to go now and i hope that i hope that these keep going on i don't know i almost feel and maybe i'm wrong but i almost feel like that might probably be okay (laughs) 